Emily, welcome to the family of God. What a great way to start our time together today. I want to share with you again these words from the Apostle Paul from Romans 8 as we continue this series we're calling Forgiving God. Paul asked this question, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Last week, we started this series we're calling Forgiving God, and and if you weren't here last week, let me strongly encourage you to go back and to listen to the message. It's one that I didn't give, so I can say that uh, with a clear conscience. My friend Jason Bybee was in town and brought us an incredible message last week as we began this series, one one you need to hear. So go watch it on Facebook, watch it on our website, listen to the podcast, whatever you prefer, but but go back and listen if you missed it last week. If you were here, go, go listen to it again. It was that good. And what we're asking through this series is or what we're at least suggesting, is not that God did anything wrong. But was there a point in your story, a point in your journey, where where maybe there was an unmet expectation, where maybe there was a prayer that went unanswered, where maybe there was a loss or something happened, a tragedy in your life, and ever since that moment, ever since that time, things between you and God just haven't been the same. And what if you could forgive God? Again, not that he's done anything wrong, but if you could just release him, from whatever it is you're holding against him, so that you can enter back into relationship with him. Full relationship. The, the kind of relationship that sings, I'm running into your arms. That kind of relationship. Some of you haven't felt that kind of relationship with God in a long, long time. But what if you could? Uh, my grandfather, one of my most prized possessions was uh, uh, an antique Philco radio that my grandfather owned. Uh, Every year at Christmas during the holidays, my family, we would travel to a small town called Phoenix City, Alabama, and we would all pile in with all the aunts and uncles and cousins and everyone on that side of the family and celebrate Christmas. And, you know, it it was what you expect. We all packed in there. It was a small room, but we all piled in, and there were presents everywhere and wrapping paper everywhere. And whenever we got done, my, my grandfather would appear from around the back of the room. And my grandfather loved cigars, and he always came out with a cigar box. But this cigar box didn't have cigars in it. It, it had, well, if you, if you were there, you knew what was in it. And if you were there, you were glad you were there because every year the same thing happened. My, my grandfather would walk out into the room after everyone had opened all the presents and have a cigar box. And inside the cigar box was a stack of 20s. And if you were there, you got a 20. It didn't matter if you showed up on accident, if you were a friend of a friend of a cousin that came in the room. If you were in the room that day, you got a $20 bill from my grandfather. If you weren't, you missed out. So you made sure you were there on Christmas to get that $20 bill from my grandfather's cigar box. A few years ago, he, uh, he passed away. And when he did, my grandmother asked me, you know, what, is there anything of my grandfather's belongings that, that you would like? And the first thought was, where's that cigar box? (laughs) But I didn't ask for that. I asked for his Bible. I wanted to have that. And it was all duct taped and, you know, held together by, you know, not much. And I asked for that old antique Philco radio that sat outside his room in the hallway. 
I always love that thing. I always love music, and I always love that thing. I love to turn it on and to hear it, hear it play music, and I love to hear it sing. And it was, it was beautiful, and it was wonderful, and it was kind of different and special, and it was old, but it still worked, and I, and I just loved it. And so she gave that to me, and we brought that home, and we put it in our house right in the living room. It was a, a pretty big you know, radio, and it was like a piece of furniture. It looked really nice, and it was always a good story to tell when people came over. It wasn't very long, though, that that living room where that radio sat became not just a living room, it became a toy room because we had three kids under the age of five. So you know how this works. In every corner of the room, there are toys. And that was fine. That was a stage of life we were in. And one night, we had friends over at our house, and we were having a great time laughing and talking and playing with the kids. My daughter, Emma, had this one toy she loved a lot. It was a a, a hard plastic Door the Explorer microphone. You know what these things are like? You know, uh, parents hate them because you can't turn them off. There's no off button. They just come on and they go on and on and on. Well, this one, you know, had a button you pushed and it would sing a Door the Explorer song and she could sing along and she loved that. She loved to sing. She's always loved to sing. She loved that. Well, that night, I don't know what happened. I don't know if we'll ever know what happened, but something happened and she got really angry at that Door the Explorer microphone. And what happened next, I'll never forget. She couldn't have done this on purpose if she had tried a hundred times in a row. But she got so angry at that microphone in the middle of our talking and laughing and playing with friends and other people that were over that she hurled that thing across the room. And you know what happened? That hard plastic hit my grandfather's Philco radio. It was made mostly of wood, but in the the top little section, there was a a piece of glass, a little window that's where the dials were, where you would turn and tune it to whatever you wanted to listen to, whatever station. And I don't know how she did it, but she hurled that hard plastic door of the Explorer microphone, and it hit that antique glass, and it shattered. And that radio that I loved so much, I loved to hear it play, I loved to hear it sing. After that night, it did not sing anymore. <laughs> it was gone. And I don't get angry very often, especially when other people are around. But, but when that broke, something inside me broke, and I got really angry really fast. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us. When something we love breaks, something inside of us breaks. And it's just a radio, it's just a thing, and it's really not that important in the scheme of things, and you know that. And it doesn't compare to the feeling that we feel when someone we love is breaking or someone we love is broken. But you you know what that feels like. When someone you love is breaking or when someone you love is broken, something inside you breaks and you you can't always sing anymore. You come to church, and you hear the songs, but you just can't sing. And I know what you do. I know what you do when someone you love is broken. You do, you do what all of us do. You, if you believe in God, I know what you do. You pray. In fact, if you don't believe in God, you probably still pray. Because when we come to the end of our rope, when, it, when it's all said and done, there's nowhere else to turn for answers, all of us somehow, some way, turn to God, and we pray the same prayer. God, if you're there. God, if you're real. God, if you're listening, God, if you're up there, would you please help? Would you please intervene? Would you please step into the story? Would you please heal? Would you please change? Would you please make this different? Would you please fix this thing that's broken, whatever it is? And when that doesn't happen, sometimes it does, but a lot of times it doesn't. When that doesn't happen, then we move from prayer to the next thing, which is asking this question. It's the question that won't go away. Why? Why? Like 
why does this have to happen? Why does this have to happen to me? Why does this have to happen to them? Why is this happening at all? Why isn't God doing something? Where is God, and why isn't he acting in the middle of the situation? And when you pray and you don't hear any answers, when you ask the question, why, and nothing seems to change, something inside you breaks. And when something inside, inside of you breaks, you just can't seem to sing anymore. That's what happened for a couple of sisters named Mary and Martha. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, I want to ask you to take that out, open that up to John chapter 11. John tells us the story of two sisters named Mary and Martha, and they went through what I think all of us would agree was an incredibly difficult time. If you know the story, I want to encourage you not to jump ahead you know how it ends, don't fast forward to the beginning. Let's just walk through this together because I think there's something here for all of us to hear if we have ears to hear this morning. In John 11, John tells a story this way. John, a friend, a disciple of Jesus, writes this down, the story down. And he tells a story this way in John 11, verse 1. He says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And this this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now, different people translate that verse different ways. Let me show you two more ways so you can get the full idea, the full impact. Another way to say it is the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Or this, the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, he, our brother and your friend whom you love is sick. In other words, Lazarus wasn't some stranger. He, they, they weren't an acquaintance that they knew you know, from a distance. Jesus knew this family. Jesus knew Mary. He knew Martha. He knew Lazarus. And Lazarus wasn't just an acquaintance. He wasn't just a friend. He was a dear friend, someone who Jesus loved. There's another story about the same family that Luke tells, another follower of Christ tells. And he tells a story of a time when Jesus is at their home. And, and, and Martha's over here preparing a big feast. And Mary, this was unprecedented, unheard of at the time. But she, a female, was sitting at the feet of Jesus to learn from him as his disciple, this rabbi having this, this woman. And, and, and she is learning from him. This is a family that Jesus knew very well. They lived in Bethany. Bethany is about, oh, I don't know, two miles from Jerusalem. And so most scholars think that every time over this three-year period of Jesus's ministry, every time he came to Jerusalem, he probably stayed in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were on a first-name basis. He had a room in their home. Jesus knew this family, and Jesus loved this family. And so when Lazarus gets sick, Mary and Martha, they know what to do. They know who to call. They know Jesus. And they know, guess what? He can heal the sick. We've seen him do it. We've heard the stories. They believed Jesus was who he said he was, that he was Israel's Messiah, and that he was a healer. And so, you know, in my mind, I don't know if this is true, but it seems to me that they probably knew how sick Lazarus was. I don't think they were ever worried. They had the best health insurance in all of Israel. They knew Jesus. And if Jesus would heal strangers, if he would do for so many people what he has done, surely, surely he would come through for them, right? The story goes on in verse 4. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness 
will not end in death. In other words, Mary and Martha, they've cried out to God. Maybe you've done this when someone you love is sick or hurting or whatever, broken, and you've cried out to God. Jesus hears their prayer. He hears the word they've sent, and he says, hey, I get it. Lazarus, my friend, is broken, but he's going to sing again. I'm going to take care of my friend Lazarus. Jesus says, no, this has happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. And in this next sentence, this next line, verse 5, may be the most difficult verse to read in the entire Scripture. John says, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Even though he loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, Jesus stayed where he was for two whole days. Jesus has already said that his sickness would not end in death, so why in the world is Jesus staying where he is? He's down by the Jordan River, down in Galilee, down where John the Baptist had been baptizing you know, a few years before. He's a day's journey away from Bethany. Why in the world is he staying where he is? Why doesn't he come back to rescue and to help and to heal his friend Lazarus? Why doesn't he come back as soon as Martha and Mary, as soon as their word gets to him? Why didn't he, he, he get on his white horse and ride in to, to save the day? Or why doesn't, he's done this before, why doesn't he just speak a word and heal Lazarus from a distance? He has that ability, that power as well. Why doesn't Jesus do any of those things? There's our question again. It just won't go away. Why? But when Jesus got the news, he wasn't worried. When Jesus got the news, he wasn't afraid. And maybe the thing that drives you and me the most crazy is that when he got the news, he just wasn't in a hurry. It's not that he wasn't concerned, but he wasn't unaware of Martha and Mary's calendar But he was going to work things out on his timeline, not theirs. And I think if we're honest, this is maybe the one thing that drives so many of us who believe in Jesus crazy, isn't it? Because we just feel like if he would just answer our prayer the way we pray it, when we pray it, how we pray it, if he would just do what we ask, the world would be a lot better place. But we're reminded, aren't we, that Jesus is not a genie in a bottle and he doesn't beckon at our command. Jesus hears the prayer of his friends, but he's not in a hurry. And I think this is hard for us, too, because we live in a culture that says, if you love me, you'll protect me from pain. If you care about me, you will drop what you're doing when I'm in trouble, and you will come to the rescue. Like, when I call 911, you will respond. Like, this is the world we live in. It equates love with response time, but the love of Jesus is perfect. We know that, but his love is not defined by response time, at least not in this story. Verse 7, finally... Finally, two days later, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Again, about a day's journey probably for Jesus. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. You want to go there again? Like they knew that if they didn't go back, Lazarus might die. But if they did go back, Jesus would definitely die. So you really want to go back to that same area of the country where if we go there... They're going to find you, they're going to arrest you, and they're going to kill you. Jesus replied, there's 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. 
They can see because they have the light of this world, but at night there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. And then he says this, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, because they just they don't understand, not uncommon. Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better. Just let him be. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, he gets a bad rap, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. It's important. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary, she just stayed in the house. I don't think she was ready to see Jesus yet. Martha said to Jesus, the same thing you and I have said, Lord, if only, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha's broken. And when Jesus comes to her house, this time she's not preparing a feast. She's not singing songs of praise. She has questions that need answers. How do we forgive God when he lets us down? How do we forgive God when he doesn't show up on time? How do we forgive God when we have unmet expectations? Jesus, if you had only been here sooner, if you had only responded when I sent word, if you had only heard me when I prayed, if you had only done what I knew you could do, Martha and Mary were not lacking faith at any point in the story. They knew what Jesus could do, and they thought he would do it for them, but he didn't, if only. Martha said, even now, still full of faith, somehow, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. Martha believed what you and I believe, that on the last day we will be resurrected and we'll spend eternity in heaven with our Father. But this is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah. Never doubted that. You know that, Lord. I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Even now, after the loss of her brother, Martha still is believing in Jesus. So then Martha went to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher's here and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him and when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her there. That's important, too. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. Again, not with songs of praise, 
but with questions. And she says exactly the same thing that Martha said to Jesus. Lord, if only. If only you had been here. If only you had been here. My brother would not have died. Mary is broken. Martha's broken. They can't sing anymore. They've got questions and they want answers. And I want you to hear this. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I I pray you'll hear this. That when you weep, Jesus weeps. That when you cry, Jesus cries. That when you're hurting, Jesus hurts. When you're suffering and experiencing pain because you live in a broken world, this causes a deep anger to rise up within Jesus. Why? Because he realizes that you're living in a world that he never envisioned for you. This is not the world the way it's supposed to be. This is not, in their word, it's not shalom, it's not peace, it's not wholeness, it's not fullness. It's not the way things are supposed to be. And whenever you experience the brokenness of this world, a deep anger rises up within Jesus because he knows this is not what he had in mind for you and for me. And I can tell you stories this morning, you have your own stories, but I can tell you stories of sitting with families on more than one occasion who had lost a child, or sitting with, with, with friends whose marriages were wrecked by sin, or, or people who were broken by addiction. I can tell you stories of her own loss. You can tell me stories of your loss. But the, the common thread that runs through all of them is that whenever there is a loss, followed by what we feel like is silence from God, that always creates a distance in our relationship with God. It always creates this distance between us and God. You know, my guess is, we know that Martha and Mary, they were probably about a day's journey away from Jesus. There was a physical distance between them and Jesus. But I'm wondering this morning if there's a greater distance that exists between you and God because of some pain, some loss, some hurt, some unanswered prayer, some unmet expectation in your life. And I wonder this, and I want to ask this question very carefully and very sensitively. But I want to ask it because I think it brings up a truth out of the text. What if God gave you the choice? What if if Jesus had given Mary and Martha the choice? What if he had sent word back to them and said, Martha, Mary, I can do this. I can fix it. I can heal Lazarus right now. You say the word, and I'll say the word, and Lazarus, his fever will be gone. He'll be totally restored. He'll get up, and he'll be, you know, watching football tomorrow. It's going to be great. I can fix him right now. Say the word, and I'll do that for you. Do you want me to do that? Or would you be willing? Would you be willing to let your brother suffer? And there's a chance he could die. Would you be willing to walk through the pain and suffering of the next few days? And if you do, if you'll trust me, I'm going to do something for you that's beyond your wildest 
imagination. Now, if you don't feel like you could say yes to that question, that's totally fine. It doesn't make you less spiritual. I'm not sure Martha and Mary would, could have said yes to that question. But you know what happens in this moment? Because Lazarus dies, we're told that people from Jerusalem come to help Mary and Martha mourn the loss of their brother. And when Mary goes to see Jesus, the crowd follows her out. And because of that, there are more people there that have, than would have been there any other way. And because of that, they were able to witness something that they would have never experienced any other way. And I bring that up simply to make this point, this truth, which I think is right here in the story. Well, a couple things. One, you can feel completely abandoned by God and still be completely loved by God. Like you can feel far from God, you can feel distance from him, but that doesn't mean you are any less loved. Mary and Martha were a day's journey away, but they were never less loved by Jesus in that moment. Never, never once. God's presence in your life, his presence in their life, it was a fact, it wasn't a feeling. If God's presence, if his love for you was dependent on your feelings, that'd be a tricky thing, wouldn't it? God's love for you is a fact, it's a truth. And it doesn't depend on how you feel. But not just that. When we allow God to work in our pain, to be present in our suffering, something happens. Your pain has a purpose. This is what happened in the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Their pain, their suffering, it was not in vain because they were faithful and believing all the way through it. Jesus was able to do something that so many more people were able to witness. Because your pain can have a purpose in the story of God for those of us who believe in God. It can have a purpose because we serve a God who, who is a God who saves. And when you point people to Jesus in the middle of your pain, you bring unparalleled glory to God. This is what happens for Mary and Martha. Whenever you point people to Jesus... In the middle of your pain, you bring unparalleled glory to God. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus to come and heal their brother. Jesus didn't do it, but he did answer their prayer. And he did it in a way in which they never could have imagined. Here's the rest of the story. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. The cave where the stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them, but Martha... The dead man's sister protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside, and then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all those people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in graves clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. You see, your story, 
your suffering is never the end of the story because we serve a God. We serve a God who can leverage our pain for his purpose. We serve a God who always saves. Church, if you would, let's stand together. So how do we suffer what we suffer believing? I'll tell you what I've come to believe. I think we always send word to Jesus. And then we trust him. We trust him to do what only he can do in our story and through our story to bring glory to our Father. And I know it's just a radio, but a few weeks ago, a friend, a dear friend in this church took my grandfather's Philco radio and he completely restored it. He replaced the glass. He fixed the parts inside that didn't work and put new parts that did work. And when I went over to his house to see it, he turned it on and that radio could sing again. And today, if your heart is broken, I want to invite you to take it to the healer and let him do what only he can do. Let him heal your broken heart so that you can sing again. Because you can sing again. You can hope again. Not because the tomb of Lazarus is empty. It's not. Lazarus died again. We can sing again because we have hope. Because the tomb of Jesus is empty. Let's sing.